And welcome to the Weekly Review. This is Roman. It's Friday, November 17th. Happy birthday to folks out there who have birthdays today. Uh, Welcome to the show. Trigger warning, this is a news and current events program, and we'll be talking about current events and the increase in fascism that's happening here in the United States. And we'll also be going through some positive news stories and ways people can fight back and step up and be counted and be heard. There's, I feel, so many people out there doing a lot of really incredible work in a lot of different ways, and it's really important to highlight that. So we'll also be talking about that today. As always, the phone lines are open. You can give us a call. Let us know what's happening in your world. Uh, Let us know your thoughts. Our phone number is 415-550-0511. Please do give us a call. I'm trying to set up some, not trying, doing. It's the, I guess, like the Yoda thing and the, you know, don't try do. I also got a fortune cookie with that recently. It was very much working on not using the word try and actually just doing things. We're not trying to do something, we just do it. So, I'm in talks with some folks to call in, perhaps not this week, but I'm also working on not using the word but, in, as in the B-U-T word. <sighs> More inclusive, positive language. Hopefully that might change things a little bit. Speaking with some folks who will hopefully be calling in in the near future, and that'll be great. So as we know that the, the J-20, the trials have started Folks who are unaware, please uh, get the word out. So many, 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 many people went to protest this inauguration this past January. And at one point, people were kettled. The police kettled people, hundreds of people, and uh, arrested almost 200, maybe a little bit over, maybe a bit under. And some of those folks who were kettled included photographers and journalists and medics, among with other folks who were just there. 
And now some of these people are facing up to like 60 to 70 years in jail. Now they're, their reasoning behind this is totally fucking corrupt and wrong. Their excuse behind this is that some windows are broken and a limousine was set on fire. And a lot of us are like, well, property is property. Who gives a shit? And also, we care more about how about all the people who were hurt by police? They, they use the they use their the weapons. They use the chemical weapons against people. They push people. They arrested people. Very using a lot of violence to arrest people. Violence in its you know arrest in itself is violent. I'm getting my thoughts together. Anyway, so for some reason, the state likes to think that a broken window is somehow more of a punishable offense than a cop hitting somebody. It's backwards world. You know, in, in Stranger Things, there's that idea of, like the upside down world. Maybe we're living in it right now where things are so fucking backwards, where the state, the people who have the most power, get to continue having as much power because they can make up as much bullshit as they want and continue to harass and harm people and kill people and arrest people. So getting back to the J20. So if you go to, uh, there's a hashtag that's going around. It's hashtag defend J20, hashtag drop J20. And there's also a link. Folks are fundraising because not enough, enough people know about this. It should be, you know, it should be, everyone should know about it personally. Because the thing is, if they end up, you know, suppressing people and it's going it, to, they're, set, the they're setting up precedents pretty much. So if they can get away with this, they're going to totally curb the right to protest. They're going to curb the right to free speech. And we cannot have this. And some really terrible things that's happening is that they're not letting the press even go into these trials. So people can't even report on it which is really fucked up. So imagine, and also the fact that, like, personally, I don't get, I don't, if you smash a window uh, at a Starbucks, I, personally, me, as a person, I don't care about it. That's not something that makes me upset. Um, even if it is something that makes you upset, please note that some of the people who didn't even smash the windows are the ones who are being arrested. So say you saw someone smash a window, you, by being in close proximity to them, is means to arrest according to this new trial. So it's really scary stuff. And so on, on Truth Out, there's an article I'm going to read right now. It's a, an op-ed, and this came out on Wednesday, the 15th. Uh, responding to new levels of press suppression, drop the J-20 charges, and even more obscene. In January, Truth Out issued a statement of solidarity with the journalists. Or again, it's a journalists. And also, even if you're not a I mean, no one should have been arrested, in my opinion, at this event. Anyway, except for maybe 45 and Mike Pence and Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan, those folks fine. I mean, I'm a prison abolitionist, and at the same time, if the prisons are open, why don't you arrest the fucking fascists who are trying to kill us? Okay, moving on with the story. In January, Truthout issued a statement of solidarity with the journalists arrested while covering protests around the inauguration of 45, signed by over 100 journalists and other members of the media, including our own staff. We condemned this blatant criminalization of journalism and demanded that all charges against those journalists be dropped immediately. At the time of writing, reporters Alexi Wood and Aaron Cantu, the later, the latter previously a frequent Truthout contributor, still faced charges from their arrest on January 20th, including engaging in a riot, conspiracy to riot, inciting a riot, and property damage. Their trial begins today, and this was on Wednesday. Uh, some of the charges the two face are felonies, and they are being threatened with potentially decades of incarceration. Neither Cantu nor Wood has been accused of any specific acts of property damage or other individual action. They're being prosecuted for being in the proximity of a protest on which they were reporting. 
As defending rights and dissent and other free press groups state in their letter to the Department of Justice published earlier this week, the criminalization of everyone attending the same assembly is deeply troubling. But in the case of Kantu and Wood, it raises special concerns for press freedom. In order to cover these newsworthy events, journalists have to be present. As the march progressed down city streets, journalists would have to follow it and move in proximity to it in order to cover it. Yet, because of this proximity, prosecutors are arguing that journalists are not only guilty of property damage committed by at most a handful of individuals in a march the journalists sought to cover, but guilty of conspiracy to riot and inciting a riot. Under such a theory, the very act of journalism is criminalized. Meanwhile, Dylan Petrohylos is facing felony charges and decades of incarceration for allegedly, quote-unquote, planning the protests. As if one person is just upset that 45 was being inaugurated. Okay, whatever. The evidence that has been amassed against him includes copies of publications, including The Nation and In These Times, seized from his home, and the fact that he appeared on the podcast, It's Going Down. The Writers Guild of America, East, of which Petrohilos is a member, has adopted a resolution in solidarity with those arrested at the inauguration protests and is calling for the dismissal of reduction of the charges. It is clear that this amounts to a coordinated attack on not just dissent, but all critical journalism. 45 and his administration did not invent the concept of cracking down on protest and press freedom, nor did they even introduce it to the 21st century United States. But this regime is undeniably accelerated and heightened the crackdown, uh, openly declaring itself to be at war with certain elements of the media. We understand these prosecutions to be a wider part or part of a wider campaign of press suppression that takes many forms. Trump's donors have closed down news websites either by suing them, as Peter Thiel did to Gawker, or purchasing them only to close them down when they unionize, as Joe Ricketts has done to DNA Info and Gothamist. Truthout joins the above-mentioned labor and press freedom groups in remaining in solidarity with all those unfairly arrested on January 20th and facing charges as a result of the Trump regime's desire to criminalize protest. We particularly remain in solidarity with criminalized members of the media. We repeat our call for the dropping of all charges. We invite fellow journalists and other members of the media to continue adding their names to the statement by sending an email to statement at truthout.org. Whew. So you can find this article on truthout.org, and that's truth-out.org. And we've also posted it on the Weekly Review Feb- yeah, the Weekly Review webpage, and you can check that out at facebook.com slash weekly rev. And we have a lot of articles up there. And there's also ways that you can donate if you would like to uh, donate to the Defend J20 cause. They're raising, they're looking to raise $250,000 by the end of December. And if you go to defendj20resistance.org, um, you can, uh, that has much more information in addition to what I've spoken about. And you can all, they also provide a link where you can donate. You can share the link if you're unable to donate. They're at twenty five, a little over $25,000 right now. So about 10, a little over 10% to their goal. So far, 381 con- contributors have donated. And I'd imagine in this country, there are millions of people who protest and dislike this administration and if you are one of those people, please do donate, even if it's a dollar. That that adds up. If two hundred, you know, so we need about two two hundred twenty-five thousand more dollars. If there are two hundred twenty-five thousand people out there donating one dollar, they'd meet their goal today. 
and I believe that there are that many people out there, and there are that many people out there who can and are able to donate $1. So I'm putting that out there for folks. And you can also just go directly to the fundraising page, and that's at fundraiser.com forward slash J20Resistance, and fundraiser is F-U-N-D-R-A-Z-R. Again, please, please, please um, donate if you're able, spread the word if you're able. I've also been trying to get like celebrities, people with like a lot of like Twitter followers. I don't have too many. There are some folks out there who have millions of followers and are hopefully on the right side of history and, and post about political things that are happening. So if you're if you feel like you're well connected online and you know and you follow folks who are able to get the word out to the masses by all means because everyone this should be the top trending i don't know much about i'm not a huge tech person however if you are or if you know some folks who are please everyone needs to know about this because it's going to affect everybody for everyone who makes a facebook post criticizing this administration we are all included in this in this lawsuit it's all going to come in and it's going to affect us because if they are able to convict journalists from covering an event, they are definitely going to come after us. It might not be tomorrow, it might not be next week, but it will happen, believe me. So, I'd love to be wrong about this. I would love to be totally paranoid and wrong. It would make my life a lot easier. I'd rather be wrong. I don't think I am. We're, we're living under fascism. They're trying to control the media. They're trying to arrest journalists. This is not try. They're working on it. And let's prevent that. And we can do that if enough people stand up, step up, and say, no, this is not going to happen. Okay, that's my plea. There we go. I did mention some positive things, but the first thing that came to my mind, it's not positive, it's terrible. It's maybe it goes along with the lines of people warning about things that are bad happening. People in positions of power don't listen, and we all have to pay for it. Could I be talking about the pipeline that leaked? Yes, I can. The Keystone Pipeline. It spilled 210,000 gallons of oil in South Dakota. So... Everyone who's been, you know, people who have been protesting Standing Rock and all these fucking pipelines, it's not a matter of uh, if they're going to leak. It's a matter of when they leak. They leak. They pollute the earth. They're terrible. I don't give a shit if you're like, oh, but, you know, they'll provide some jobs. Uh, yeah, you can't. What's the point of having a job if your water is poisoned? If you can't drink any fucking water? It's disgusting. So, Yes. So even CBS, which is, you know, pretty mainstream, even they're reporting it. So if the mainstream media is even reporting it, that's pretty horrible. That I mean, it's like, even they have to admit that it happened. Well, we'll put it that way. So it's been shut down for now. And so, that yeah, they leaked an estimated 210,000 gallons of oil in uh, northeastern South Dakota. And... I mean, I, I don't even have words for it. Do we even need to, like, read the details about it, of how fucked up it is? Or how people who actually know the land and say, hey, this is a problem, we can't have these pipelines here, and people move forward with it anyway, and then, oh, the pipeline leaked, now people can't drink water. I'll look for some more information about it right now. I'd rather not read from a CBS news report. Uh, I'd rather read from a more independent source. So um, I'm sure, though, even typing in pipeline leak, there's a lot, a lot of folks are reporting on it, even the New York Times and even CNN. So everyone out there is uh, Reuters, Slate, even Snopes. <laughs> it's ridiculous. NPR, we'll go with NPR. We'll go with NPR today. So on November 16th, there's an article written by Richard Gonzalez, Keystone, Pipeline oil spill reported in South Dakota. 
updated at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Trans Canada, which just is gives a bad name to everything that's related to the word trans. Trans Canada, the company that owns and operates the Keystone Pipeline, says that an estimated 210,000 gallons or 5,000 barrels of oil have spilled near the small town of Amherst, South Dakota. The cause of the leak is under investigation, according... Uh, under, I mean, I'm glad, I'm glad it's under investigation. It's also, maybe it's a fucking pipeline. <sighs> it's, you like, you release something that's dangerous to the world, and you're like, hmm, I wonder why that happened, because it's a fucking pipeline. They leak. Okay. The cause of the leak is under investigation. According to the company's website, TransCanada crews detected a drop in pressure at about 6 a.m. Central Time Thursday morning and shut down the pipeline, which runs from Hardesty, Alberta, to Cushing, uh, Oklahoma and Wood River slash Patoka, Illinois. Amherst is about 200 miles north of Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and about 25 miles from the state's border with North Dakota. The conduit is not the controversial and long-delayed Keystone XL pipeline that TransCanada is still shepherding through the approval process. But as NPR's Jeff Brady reports, the spill comes at a sensitive time for TransCanada. Regulators in the neighboring state of Nebraska are expected to announce a decision on the company's proposed Keystone XL pipeline next week, the project and its route through Nebraska have been controversial. Some landowners are concerned about how an oil spill might harm their property and water supplies, as they should be. The spill does nothing to enhance prospects for the XL pipeline, which critics argue should not be allowed to operate. TransCanada cannot be trusted, said Jane Klebe, head of the Nebraska Democratic Party and a longtime activist opposed to Keystone XL, as quoted by the Washington Post. I have full confidence that the Nebraska Public Service Commission is going to side with Nebraskans, not a foreign oil company, she added. I really hope she's right. Brian Walsh, an environmental scientist manager at the South Dakota Department of Environment and Natural Resources, said the company was aware of the spill at about 5.30 a.m. Central Time, but his agency wasn't alerted until about 10.30 a.m. Central Time. It reminds me of the, the the frat boys who drink too much and then they just decide not to call for help like hours and hours afterwards okay there's a time lag there and i expect that it will be some of the questions we need to answer over the coming months he told jeff in its statement TransCanada said this section of the pipe along the right of way approximately 35 miles 56 kilometers south of the ludden pump station in marshall county south dakota was completely isolated with 15 minutes and emergency procedures were activated The spill occurred about three miles southeast of Amherst on private land, which Walsh described as flat, grassy area for grazing. The company tweeted a picture of the site last Thursday. The company says that it is providing state and federal regulators with accurate and confirmed information on an ongoing basis. How kind of them. (sighs) Planet Earth. Humans just... (laughs) don't know how to treat planet earth speaking of pipelines there's an article in the intercept dakota access pipeline company paid mercenaries to build conspiracy lawsuit against environmentalists (laughs) shaking my head this was written by alan brown uh will Parrish, and alice sperry and it came out on november 15th and again this is from the intercept and and we talk a lot about social issue, you know social justice issues here and social activism and then there's also environmental activism and i still remember the years ago i had a guest on the show 
um, who was an environmental activist in the 90s, and, and, and she spoke about the, like the FBI and the case of the state against environmentalists, so against people who were trying to prevent trees from being shut down, and the lengths that they went, including planting bombs in people's cars to prevent environmentalists from making their case and from continuing to work to protect the environment. So a common theme here on the show is not just people in positions of power harming the rest of us, but the state. And I guess that's kind of goes, it's one and the same a lot of the time. And we have a common enemy. If you're not allowing people to protect each other and protect the environment, then you're, you're the problem. Okay, let's, let's look and see how these, what these fuckers are doing. And fuckers is my professional term. The private security firm Tiger Swan which is a shame to just a disgrace to tigers and swans works. To, I mean, again, like they choose these, these names, trans Canada, tiger swan, you know, Ugh. please let's, let's have our language instead of you using nice language and nice words to cover yourself while you do terrible things to the planet. Okay. The private security firm tiger swan worked to build a RICO, it's R I C O suit accusing Greenpeace earth first and bank track of inciting protests to increase donations. This may be a long article, so grab yourself some water, sit in, be comfortable. The private security firm Tiger Swan, hired by energy transfer partners to protect the controversial Dakota Access Pipeline, was paid to gather information for what would become a sprawling conspiracy lawsuit accusing environmentalist groups of inciting the anti-pipeline protests in an effort to increase donations, three former Tiger Swan contractors told The Intercept. For months, a conference room wall at Tiger Swan's Apex, North Carolina headquarters was covered with a web-like map of funding nodes the firm believed it had uncovered, linking billionaire backers to nonprofit organizations to pipeline opponents protesting at Standing Rock. It was a showpiece for board members and ETP executives, according to a former Tiger Swan contractor, part of a project that had little to do with the pipeline's physical security. In August, the law firm founded by Mark Kasowitz, Donald Trump's personal, ugh, I said his name, gross, blah, uh, personal attorney for more than a decade. And also, I'm just going to make a note for all, all Jewish identified folks working with this administration, fuck you. That's, I mean, it's really for everyone who is, it just feels like a disgrace when I think about Jared Kushner and I think about all the anti-Semitism that's coming up with this, this administration's bringing up among its followers and then for folks to work, to work with them, No. Shame on you. Anyway, I'm going to continue. So his personal attorney for more than a decade filed a 187-page racketeering complaint against Greenpeace, Earth First, and the divestment group Bank Track in the U.S. District Court of North Dakota, seeking $300 million in damages on behalf of energy transfer partners. The No DAPL movement, the suit claims, was driven by a network of putative not-for-profits and rogue eco-terrorist groups who employ patterns of criminal activity and campaigns of misinformation to target legitimate companies and industries with fabricated environmental claims. It was as if the entire campaign came in a box, and of course it did, the suit alleges. Its objective was not to protect the environment or Native Americans, but to produce as sensational and public a dispute as possible and to use that publicity and emotion to to drive fundraising. 
Among the nonprofit network's alleged crimes, perpetrating acts of terrorism under the U.S. Patriot Act, including destruction of an energy facility, destruction of hazardous liquid pipeline facility, arson, and bombing of government property, risking or causing injury or death, which is ironic when the government itself does that. Anyway, we felt compelled to file a lawsuit against Greenpeace and others because we want the truth to come out about the illegal actions that took place in North Dakota and the funding of these actions. ETP spokesperson Vicky Granado told The Intercept, in many cases, the only way the truth comes out is through the legal process. The case was filed under the Racketeer Influence and Corrupt Organizations Act, passed in 1970 to prosecute organized crime, primarily the mob. Greenpeace says it amounts to a strategic lawsuit against public participation, or SLAPP, designed to curtail free speech through expensive, time-consuming litigation. It grossly distorts the law and facts at Standing Rock, said Greenpeace General Counsel Tom Wetterer. We'll win the lawsuit, but it's not really what this is about for ETP. What they're really trying to do is silence future protests. Again, it's about going back to the first story, silencing future protests and advocacy work against the company and other corporations. The lawsuit had some major racist overtones. They're basically saying that we were not intelligent enough to know for ourselves what the possibilities were in case the pipeline were to leak. They were basically saying we were manipulated, said Linda Black Elk, a member of the Catawba Nation who lives on the Standing Rock Reservation and organized against the pipeline months before the protest began. I think the whole purpose of it is to scare tribes from further activism when it comes to the fossil fuel industries and to scare these green groups to keep them from supporting us in those future fights. Tiger Swan, which got its start working U.S. government contracts in Afghanistan and Iraq, Excuse me. was hired by Energy Transfer Partners to coordinate the DAPL operation in September 2016 after dogs handled by private security officers were caught on film biting pipeline opponents. The film began collecting information on the movement's funding streams soon afterward, submitting intelligence to ETP via daily situation reports, more than 100 of which were leaked to the intercept by a Tiger Swan contractor. But the effort to build a lawsuit began in earnest in January. Tiger Swan personnel were tasked directly by lawyers working for ETP with fulfilling information requests, according to two former contractors. Situation reports from the beginning of February note that the company planned to continue to proceed with the ETP legal team's requests. In response to the requests, Tiger Swan personnel sent reports on trespassing incidents and pipeline sabotage, including information about who was suspected to be involved and monetary damages caused by the work stoppages. The film, the firm, also compiled descriptions of movement leaders and individuals arrested by law enforcement and tracked donations to DAPL-related GoFundMe accounts. Much of the intelligence collection was carried out via fake social media accounts and infiltration of protest camps by Tiger Swan operatives. According to the former contractors, the company intended to sell its legal investigative services to future clients. A PowerPoint presentation obtained by The Intercept, which a former contractor described as marketing material to attract a new contract, shows Tiger Swan applying its follow-the-money tactics to a new pipeline fight against Pennsylvania's Mariner East 2 project. The presentation traces nonprofit funds to various action arms, which include activist groups, Lancaster Against Pipelines and Marcellus Shale Earth First, as well as a member of the press, State Impact, a regionally focused public radio project. 
As concerns state impact, the Tiger Swan graphic is incorrect, editor Scott Blanchard told The Intercept. State impact, which covers Pennsylvania's energy economy, is independent of outside influence and is not aligned with any stakeholders. While Tiger Swan eventually landed security work on the Pennsylvania pipeline, its RICO work for energy transfer partners was short-lived. By early March, the legal team working for ETP had pulled the security firm off the lawsuit. Further Tiger Swan contractors speculated the firm's lack of experience building legal cases made it ill-equipped for the project. Michael Bowe, the Kasowitz attorney representing ETP in the RICO case, told The Intercept, We do not retain or work with Tiger Swan. Former Tiger Swan personnel agree that the ETP workers, working, lawyers working most closely with Tiger Swan were not with Kasowitz. ETP declined to comment on Tiger Swan's work, stating, We do not comment on any specifics related to our security programs. A Tiger Swan spokesperson stated, We do not discuss the details of our efforts for any client. We are proud of our work to provide the very best in consultative risk management services to our clients around the world. (sighs) Internal documents and interviews with the former Tiger Swan contractors display some of the fruits of the firm's investigation, which include claims that echo prominent right-wing conspiracy theories. A PowerPoint presentation created in the fall of 2016 describes what Tiger Swan dubbed the Billionaires Club, an exclusive group, group, an exclusive group, an exclusive group of wealthy individuals, which directs the far left environmental movement. I think it's also just a note here. It's interesting how people who want to protect the environment are. It's like, oh, they must be left wing because you want to like live on the planet. It's just so, just divisive and ridiculous. All right, uh, <laughs> directs the far, the far left environmental movement because. Wanting to save the planet is a, that's a political issue. Okay. Several slides are dedicated to the anti-pipeline nonprofit Bold Nebraska, whose parent organization, Bold Alliance, is named in the ETP suit. Underlying Bold Nebraska's homespun grassroots facade is a significant, growing, well-funded, and well-organized financial support network organizing or excuse me, or originating from wealthy far-left environmental interests thousands of miles away, one slide. <laughs> Like the wealthy far left, where are they? Where's the head? Where I'm just curious as to this supposed wealthy far left. I'm curious as to where they are. I'm just putting it out there. Please, please, please support our show because I would love some wealthy far left folks to uh, sponsor this, the weekly review. That'd be great. Please get in touch with us. Okay. All right. <laughs> okay. Uh, originating from the wealthy, this is all, of course all in quotations, from the wealthy far left environmental interests thousands of miles away, one slide states. The language is pulled verbatim from a 2014 report by the Republican minority staff of the state, the Senate Committee on Environmental and Public Works titled Chain of Environmental Command, how a club of billionaires and their foundations control the environmental movement and Obama's EPA. (laughs) Oh my gosh. If billionaires really wanted to like help the environment. uh, uh, It's nice. I like this, this fantasy world they're living in where I, Okay, excuse me, I need to continue. This is this is great. I mean, it's not great. It's just, it's so sad it's funny, maybe? I don't know. Tiger Swan claimed that among the wealthy interests behind Bold Alliance was billionaire philanthropist Warren Buffett, whose donations to foundations that support environmental causes, one slide states, 
benefited an oil by rail business owned by Buffett's investment company, Berkshire Hathaway. Buffett also appears at the center of the Tiger Swan Lynx map obtained by The Intercept, meant to depict movement, funders, and influencers. One of the theory's most obvious flaws is that Buffett has a significant financial stake in the Dakota Access Pipeline. Berkshire Hathaway is the largest investor in the oil and gas firm Phillips 66, which owns 25% stake in DAPL. Buffett did not respond to her request for comment. Jane Klebe, founder of Bold Alliance, told The Intercept that the group raised money for food and shelter at the DAPL resistance camps. They also had an indigenous staff member on the ground for six months who was involved in organizing protests. We'd be happy to take Buffett's billions, but we don't have any of that money, she said, noting that the organization relies on thousands of small donors. There has literally never been a foundation or a major donor that has given us money and said, you have to do XYZ to target XYZ person. It's remarkable that because we are a nonprofit and because I get paid a salary and I pay our organizers a salary, that somehow that makes us a paid protester, Klebe said. Indeed, according to one of the former Tiger Swan contractors, a goal of the firm's RICO work was to identify, quote unquote, paid protesters. And again, for a lot of, a lot of us are like, we're waiting to get paid, waiting in back pay. We got, we got all this back pay we're supposedly coming in for all the protests that we attend. You know, heaven forbid someone might actually show up because it, it's, it matters to us. It's as if the, the right wing can't fathom the idea that someone might show up to, uh, to put their, their bodies on the line or show up to something even if they're not being paid for it. it. Maybe the thought hasn't crossed their mind that that's something that a lot of people have been doing throughout the ages. Okay, I'm going to continue. Throughout the protests, prosecutors and police also took interest in identifying such protesters, indicating that the oil industry's hunt for a conspiracy was taken up by the public sector. Multiple Tiger Swan situation reports note law enforcement efforts to follow the money. For example, on March 3rd, a Tiger Swan operative wrote, spoke with FBI agent Tom Reinwart, Reinwart in reference to funds being funneled to protesters. <laughs> Another report from February 11th describes the Bureau of Indian Affairs tracking individuals assessed to be assisting in the facilitation of moving money and supplying supplies to the camps. Oh my gosh. Ah. Meanwhile, Lynn Woodall of the Morton County Sheriff's Department also regularly forwarded a protester social media activity bulletin from a Gmail account to an array of law enforcement officials. The bulletin summarized Facebook and Twitter statements made by DAPL opponents, tracked the progress of various anti-DAPL fundraising campaigns, and at times noted posts made by groups named in the lawsuit, including 350.org, Greenpeace, and Earth Justice, under a category labeled Protest Supporters and Amplifiers. In at least one case, the bulletin was, was forwarded to a Tiger Swan operative. A spokesperson for Morton County told The Intercept, that a law enforcement staff member collected the fundraising information for situational awareness. Neither the FBI nor the Bureau of Indian Affairs responded to the Intercept's requests for comment. State's attorneys were also interested in funding linked to media coverage of the protests, repeatedly singling out Democracy Now!, the news outlet whose footage of private security dogs attacking protesters attracted widespread criticism of the pipeline project and galvanized many to join the opposition movement. In a motion filed last December as part of a criminal case against pipeline opponents, state's attorney Lad Erickson repeated right-wing talking points. Some DAPL protester videos are designed for fundraising to get actors weeping into cameras. Oh, These people, I fucking swear, 
okay. He said, adding, even like even when I'm like reading their quotes, it's like I can feel like they're the, the negative energy in their lives like intruding into my body. It's so gross. And he also said, quote unquote, pretend journalists like Amy Goodman pretend. Oh. <sighs> okay. He says, pretend journalists like Amy Goodman of Democracy Now! or the Young Turks have published manipulated DAPL social media videos with faux narratives in an attempt to be recognized as a news source by those who are duped by fake news. These, I don't, these people, I don't, okay. <sighs> My gosh. They just won't stop. It's like they start lying and then they just keep on lying. It's like the spiral. It's like snowballs. They just can't get out of it. In a November 29th email... The acting state's attorney of McKenzie County, Todd Schwartz, relayed to a North Dakota state and local intelligence center officer a secondhand story he'd heard about someone a colleague sat next to on a flight. He indicated to Ron that he is a paid protester. $3,000 a day plus expenses. Are you fucking kidding me? Okay. His check comes from the Democracy Now! <laughs> from Democracy Now! who receives their money through the DNC. And from the Clinton Foundation. Okay, first of all, the Clintons don't fucking help anyone. That's my perspective. You might disagree. The Clintons sh- sure as hell. Hillary Clinton did not say fucking anything about the pipeline. So, okay. Ugh. I have no way to confirm this, but was asked to pass it to you, Schwartz noted, that it was the first time I've had it confirmed from the person who actually heard it from the paid protester. Schwartz did not respond to a request for comment. Gee, I fucking wonder why, because it's a bunch of fucking lies. $3,000 a day? I, I, I can't. Like, they're just making all this shit up. It's ridiculous. Ah, And the Clinton Foundation. Yeah, they're really helping the folks out with the pipeline. Sure. All right. That's a good story. These claims are baseless and absurd, Julie Crosby, general manager for Democracy Now! told The Intercept. The Young Turks' Jordan Cheridan took six trips to Standing Rock, where he conducted interviews that shined a light on the truth and raced to cover the front lines of the demonstration, a spokesperson for the network told The Intercept, calling the narrative pushed by ETP a continuation of right-wing corporate intimidation tactics. Of course, as police and prosecutors searched for the big-money backers of the protest movement, they were receiving their own share of billionaire support. Throughout the protest, police used ETP equipment, including ATVs, snowmobiles, and a helicopter this past October. ETP paid the state of North Dakota $15 million for law enforcement expenses and went on a tour of pipeline counties in Iowa, North Dakota, South Dakota, and Illinois, handing out giant checks totaling $1 million, gifts without condition, as one ETP executive put it. When it was adopted... Ryko thought it was a was to be a media to a mafia tool. Jeffrey Jeffrey Grell, who teaches courses on Ryko and this again R I C O at the University of Minnesota School of Law, told the Intercept, "Now it's going through a renaissance." He added, noting that while federal courts try to limit applications of the law, winning the case is often not the primary motive for those filming filing charges. I do not think this pipeline claim is very legitimate use of this statute. Statute. But in legal reality, whether you have a good claim or, or not does not matter, Grell said. If you are an energy company, they, you have a lot more money than some of the protest groups. So paying a lawyer or t- for two or three years to sue these protesters, who cares? But I guarantee you, the protest groups, they're going to care. If you've got money in our country, you can use, it, you can use litigation for a lot of purposes. And many times, those purposes are not to win a court case. 
Mark Kasowitz's firm is also behind a RICO suit filed last year against Greenpeace on behalf of logging company Resolute Forest Products. That suit was dismissed in October, although Resolute has filed an amended complaint. Kasowitz attorney Michael Rowe told Bloomberg Businessweek that Energy Transfer Partners and Resolute are not the only companies with an interest in suing Greenpeace. Hi. That's my, I hate capitalism and those who invest in it. Noise. Okay. When Greenpeace directly attacks a company's customers, financing and business, that company has little choice but to legally defend itself, he said. I know others who are, who are considering having to do so and would be shocked if there is not many, and I'd be shocked if there is not many more. Several states have passed anti-slap, and that's S-L-A-P-P, not, not anti-slap because a lot of these people in positions of power, I think, I'm trying not to be a violent person, but the idea of like slapping them, I'm just going to put that out in the universe. Okay. Legislation is an effort to counter the use of lawsuits for the purpose of chilling free speech. But North Dakota is not one of them. There's no question that whether it's a civil damages lawsuit or a criminal prosecution, if part of what's motivating it is a desire to suppress speech, that it's a First Amendment problem, Seth Berlin, an attorney who has defended the First Amendment rights of advocacy groups and political organizations, told The Intercept. It's a big threat to the environmental movement, said whatever the Greenpeace lawyer these baseless lawsuits have to be thrown out in the initial stage because the longer they go on, the corporations win. And to search all the Tiger Swan documents published by The Intercept, go to Tiger Swan project page on Document Cloud, and they have a link. And again, you can check out this website, uh, their website. You can check out The Intercept at intercept.com, and they have published this article there, and I've also shared it on the Weekly Review webpage, which is Weekly Review, which is facebook.com slash weeklyrev. And again, just a lot of fucking anger and also just seeing how it's connected, how they're really going after anyone who stands up to them, like legally. That's like the way they, they use the law against people. And that's why a lot of us don't believe that the law is just. We don't believe in the quote unquote justice system because it's not just. Because when you have money, you get to do whatever the fuck you want. You get to step over people. You get to harm the environment. You get to have your way. So unless we stand up to these folks, it's going to continue on this way. So please, I guess the best thing to do is also to spread the word because the more people who like know about this and can stand up about it, talk to friends about this, have conversations, like link to these articles, think, think critically about the world that we're living in and how people who stand up are often threatened all the time in many, many ways. And it takes a lot of courage. And it takes a lot of bravery to stand up against these people. So I send a lot of solidarity and love to all the folks out there who continue to stand up, fight back against these these forces okay i think it's time for a music break Uh, ah (sighs) i'm just kind of at a loss and feeling very frustrated i'm also killing some time because i didn't have a, a song picked out sometimes i pick up music ahead of time other times, not so much. And I also, it's nice when the, the next song that comes on can be a nice, uh, can go in from the, there's a nice segue. That's the word I'm looking for, a segue. So there's a song called Leaves, Trees, Forest. So in honor of the earth that some people seem intent on destroying, there's a song called Leaves, Trees, Forest. And the artist's name is Dan Mangan. Here we go.
drinks and he smokes and he keeps me awake all through the night. My heart shakes. So I live alone, drink beer by the phone and it keeps me alive. I know there is hope, but I can't look for it. There are leaves in the trees, there are trees in the forest.
The concrete gets tired of what it has to do. It breaks and it buckles and the grass grows through. God bless the grass. God bless the truth that fights toward the sun. They roll the lies over it and think that it is done. It moves underground and reaches for the air. And after a while, it's growing everywhere. God bless the grass. God bless the grass that grows through cement. It's green and it's tender and it's easily bent. But after a while, it lifts up its head. For the grass is living and the stone is dead. God bless the grass. God bless the grass that's gentle and low. The roots, they are deep and the will is to grow. And God bless the truth, the friend of the poor and the wild grass growing round the poor man's door. God bless the grass. And welcome back. I would love to just to like play that on repeat outside uh, <laughs> energy transfer partners. Just have it on repeat on a stereo, say anything style, but not, well, I think it's okay to be creepy towards like these horrible corporations that are killing the planet and their lawyers. I think just standing outside, putting that song on repeat until they like wise up. I think that would be a pretty cool thing to do. Putting it out there. So we've heard some pretty damaging and sad things that are happening in the world. So how about some positive things? How about ways when folks folks can reach out and help each other and ways that you can also help out? So here's a couple things. And one thing we talk about on the show a bit is how fucked up mass incarceration is. And I'm running out of words because it's just, it's so fucked up. It's unfair. It's unjust. The folks who are oftentimes incarcerated should not be incarcerated, and there are folks out there running the world who should be hidden away from society, or at least they need just to, to stop doing what they're doing and wise up a little bit. That's a very polite way of putting it, but I don't think that war profiteers and a lot of these politicians and a lot of really corrupt and violent law enforcement people, a lot of these terrible lawyers, there's a lot of folks out there who are causing harm. They're not the ones in jail, yet folks are happen to be in jail if they happen to be poor, for instance, or have a job that somehow is illegal, even though it shouldn't be, such as sex work, or that certain substances uh, that are considered drugs, which actually shouldn't be drugs, that are natural, the fact that those are considered illegal is messed up. The fact that police profile and arrest folks and murder folks, Native Americans, black folks, people of color, the fact that there are so many people who are incarcerated who should not be folks with mental challenges it's it goes on and on and on and the folks out there who should not be incarcerated are it's sucky it's sucky it's terrible it's unfair it's unjust it's part of the upside down world why are we living in this world when there are people out there roaming who actually harm us and the folks who are not harming us are are in jail well how can we help them thankfully people are doing a lot of good things that we can do to to help out so 
The first thing I'm going to read about is called Bail Block, and that's B-L-O-C, Block. Bail Block. And you can check it out at bailblock.thenewinquiry.com. And I've also posted about it on the Facebook page, and I'll share it again as well. So Bail Block is a cryptocurrency scheme against bail. So I'm going to read a little bit about this here. And it's an app that you can download. And it's actually a, a useful app because sometimes people are like, here's an app that tells you how many potatoes are in the store. And it's like, that's nice, but do we really need to spend hours of our lives focusing on this? How about apps that help people? This is one of those apps. So I'm going to read a little bit about this, about Bail Block. Okay, here's how it works. When you download the app, a small part of your computer's unused processing power is redirected toward mining a popular cryptocurrency called Monero, and that's M-O-N-E-R-O, which is secure, private, and untraceable. At the end of every month, we exchange the Monero for U.S. dollars and donate the earnings to the Bronx Freedom Fund. 100% of the currency your computer generates is used by the Bronx Freedom Fund to post bail for low-income people detained in New York effective immediately. And how about it would be great if we can do this for like all across the country. So not just New York, but all states. That would be awesome. Bail funds accumulate. Bail funds are revolving, which means that they're returned to their source when people appear for their court for all their court dates, which for clients of the Bronx Freedom Fund happens 96% of the time. Most bail block users can expect to generate around 3 to $5 per month. It might not seem like much, but because of the revolving funding model, it adds up quickly. So for instance, if 5,000 people ran bail block for 12 months, the impact would be they would raise $150,030 US dollars and 1,788 people would be freed from pretrial detention, which means 1,645 cases would be dismissed. And they say, note that the, the simulation results are an estimate of impact and they have a link to their methodology. And there's also an explanation about how, how blah. it's not even one o'clock yet. I should do some tongue twisters before the show. How bail works. Bail is an amount of money typically set at arraignments that courts require of the recently arrested in exchange for their immediate term of freedom. For those who can afford it, posting bail is a means of release, allowing people to avoid pretrial incarceration, the period between arrest and case disposition, which can last weeks, months, or even years. In practice, however, bail streamlines mass incarceration by preventing low-income, usually black and brown people, from exercising their right to a fair trial. Prosecutors and judges work in concert to coerce low-income people to accept plea deals in exchange for their release. In New York, 90% of people who can't pay bail end up pleading guilty. That means they forfeit their constitutional right to be tried before a jury, are never allowed to argue their case, and can never be found innocent. Put simply, these people are found guilty of poverty. 70% of people in American jails have not yet been convicted of any crime. If just a small percentage of those in pretrial detention were released and were able to argue their cases, the jails and courts that facilitate mass incarceration would cease to function. So next, what is cryptocurrency? Cryptocurrency isn't real money, but it has real-world exchange value. Just as the U.S. Treasury prints money to infuse into the economy, cryptocurrency is generated out of nowhere through an arbitrary process. But where the U.S. Treasury needs a minting machine, all miners need is computing power. 
Cryptocurrencies are generated through users running software to solve difficult computational problems in a process known as mining. When a problem is solved, the user is rewarded by a decentralized cryptocurrency network with units of that cryptocurrency. If enough users mine for the same cryptocurrency, it begins to have an exchange value. And their goal is with enough downloads over time, the, the compounding revenue generated from bail block has the potential to help secure the release of tens of thousands of low-income people from pretrial incarceration, which would diminish the widespread function of cash bail to coerce guilty pleas, restoring the presumption of innocence and allowing people to wait for their day in court at liberty. And they have a link for questions, so they're addressing questions and concerns in an ongoing basis. And the credits are bail block was created by Grayson Earl, Maya Binyam, Francis Seng, J.B. Rubinovitz, Sam Levine, Devin Kenny, and the Dark Inquiry Collective. So again, you can check this out if you go to bailblock.thenewinquiry.com. I've also pasted this, pasted this, posted this on the Weekly Review webpage. So that's positive. That's some good things. I'm just going to do some more positive news stories before the end of the show because I think it's also really crucial just to not be, not to feel fully uh, defeated. And to know that there are so many people out there doing a lot of really creative, amazing things to combat the, the fascist world that we live in right now. So next is something that's similar, and that's also about um, helping folks who are incarcerated. And I'm going to get to that right now. So if you go to appolition.us, or appolition.us, and that's A-P-P-O-L-I-T-I-O-N dot U-S, uh, it's a way where you can also just donate money to folks who are incarcerated. And it's a spare change for freedom. Every year, millions of people are incarcerated because they cannot afford bail. Automatically give your spare change from everyday purchases to help prevent the detrimental impact this has on our community. And I'm going to read about how it, how it, how it works. <laughs> how it works. So it's, getting started is easy. One, link your account. Connect the account you use to make everyday purchases in less than 60 seconds. No need to enter sensitive details like account numbers. Linking your online banking creates an encrypted connection that lets us know when spare change is available. Two, spend like normal. Make purchases just as you normally would throughout the day. Three, donate automatically. Your purchases will be rounded up to the nearest dollar and donated automatically each time you reach at least $2 in spare change. You can pause and resume your contributions at any time and see your contribution history via your own secure dashboard. And so it's really cool. So say you're spending, the example they give, say you spend $7.38 at at a coffee bar, for instance. That means that they will donate $0.62 to you know, to bail funds. So it really adds up and it adds up quickly because a lot of times we think about change and how it's not, you know, sometimes people just don't, it's just, it'll, it adds up. That's what I'm saying here. Make an impact. In the spirit of community bail, bond, bail funds, we offer Appalachian a platform where users opt in to automate the savings of their daily spare change to help pay bail for those who cannot afford it. So looks pretty fucking awesome. I recommend it. I think that's great. Again, it's another way for folks to contribute and what's might be small for you really adds up and can help out people. So I think that's awesome that that exists. I'm going to take another music break and drink some water 
and move on. We're, we got a couple more positive news stories for everybody. So I think that's really good. And you're also welcome to call in. Our phone number is 415-550-0511. Call in. Let us know what you're thinking about, any positive things you'd like to share, some information. <sighs> We're happy to happy to, to give you room to speak. So as we do that, I'm going to look for another another song. And uh, how about the cover of Sound of Silence? Yeah? All right.
Whether long-range weapon or suicide bomb, a wicked mind is a weapon of mass destruction. Whether your solar wave sun or BBC One, this information is a weapon of mass destruction. You could a Caucasian or a poor Asian. Racism is a weapon of mass destruction. Whether inflation or globalization, fear is a weapon of mass destruction. My dad came into my room holding his hat. I knew he was leaving. He sat on my bed, told me some facts, son. I have a duty calling on me. You and your sister be brave, my little soldier. And don't forget all I told you. You're the mister of the house now, remember this. And when you wake up in the morning, give your mama a kiss. Then I had to say goodbye. In the morning, woke mama with the kiss on each eyelid. Even though I'm only a kid, certain things can't be hit. Mama grabbed me, held me like I was made to go, but left her in the store untold. I said, Mama, it'll be alright when Daddy comes home tonight. Whether long-range weapon or suicide bomb, a wicked mind is a weapon of mass destruction. Whether your solar wave sun or BBC One, this information is a weapon of mass destruction. You could have Caucasian or a poor Asian. Racism is a weapon of mass destruction. Whether inflation or globalization, fear is a weapon of mass destruction. Whether Halliburton, Enron, or anyone greed is a weapon of mass destruction. We need to find courage overcome inaction is a weapon of mass destruction inaction is a weapon of mass destruction inaction is a weapon of mass destruction my story stops here let's be clear this scenario is happening everywhere and you ain't going to nirvana or farvana you coming right back here to live out your karma with even more drama than previously <laughs> seriously Just how many centuries have we been waiting for someone else to make us free? And we refuse to see that people overseas suffer just like we. Bad leadership and egos unfettered and free. Who feed on the people they're supposed to lead. I don't need the people to pray and wait for the Lord to make it all straight. There's only now I do it right. Cause I don't want your daddy leaving home tonight. Whether long-range weapon or suicide bomb, a wicked mind is a weapon of mass destruction. Whether your solar wave sun or BBC One, this information is a weapon of mass destruction. You could a Caucasian or a poor Asian. Racism is a weapon of mass destruction. Whether inflation or globalization, fear is a weapon of mass destruction. Whether Halliburton, Enron, or anyone greed is a weapon of mass destruction. We need to find Courage, overcome inaction is a weapon of mass destruction. Inaction is a weapon of mass destruction. Inaction is a weapon of mass destruction.
and welcome back. Those are some of my favorite songs. Know Your Rights by The Clash, of course. Before that, Mass Destruction by Faithless, another fucking incredible song. It's my dream one day to sing that in karaoke. The uh, karaoke, it's like hard. To, we don't have it yet. So putting it out in the universe to be able to provide that for folks sing karaoke. I would love either one of those songs uh, would be great for karaoke, I think. Great messages. Beautifully done. Before that was Disturbs, Disturbs cover of Sound of Silence, of course, by Simon and Garfunkel previously. So good music makes me feel better. Hopefully it makes you feel better as well. What else might make you feel better are some positive stories. Why not? So here's one. California becomes the first state to adopt LGBT inclusive textbooks. And as someone who is definitely part of the LGBT community, and has identified as one of those letters at some point in my life or another, uh, it would have been really great growing up to have historical figures to look up to and to have the, the truth be told how so many people that we are, we do learn about are actually, we're actually queer, um, not just for, for gay history, but for the folks that we do hear about to have their identities be open to us for, for youth. It's really important to have folks to look up to and to have your history taught. Cause I think for a lot of us, not only was our history not taught, and then depending on where we grew up, there may be homophobic. We may have had homophobic teachers. Um, so just to have that history present, and then also recognizing how many people we've lost in the community throughout the years, people who've either been murdered or killed, uh, people through suicide, a number of folks, and then also just growing up in the 1980s during the AIDS epidemic, and not first certainly wasn't I didn't learn about it at the time, and there definitely was homophobia in the air. It's difficult, whether it's through the media or through other means. Uh, it's it's interesting because it's like, okay, I wasn't getting this at home. I wasn't getting these messages in the religious institutions that I was, that I was going to. Yet somehow I managed to uh, internalize a lot of homophobia. And so it's like, where, where, where is this coming from? And so if, if in schools they had taught inclusive LGBT history, um, I think that would have been incredible. So some positive stories here. So this is written by Vanessa Rancano, and this came out on November 15th, and this is from KQED. When California second graders learn about families, they learn they come in different shapes. Some are formed through adoption. Some include only one parent. Others, only grandparents. And from now on, textbooks will also teach them that families have two moms or two dads. And it's incredible that this isn't even a thing yet. Like, the fact that it's, like, now a thing, it's, like, ugh. Anyway. Good news, right? Yeah. California is set to become the first state to use LGBT inclusive textbooks in elementary schools. The State Board of Education approved to approved, excuse me, 10 LGBT inclusive history textbooks for kindergarten through 8th grade classrooms last week. The great things about these books is that they serve our students well, says Tom Adams, Deputy Superintendent for the Teaching and Learning Support Branch of the California Department of Education. We know there are many students out there who are LGBT or whose parents are, he says. This is a reality that most of our students have in their schools, and our instructional materials should reflect that reality. In fourth grade, textbooks will teach kids about a notorious bandit-battling California stagecoach driver named Charlie Parkhurst. I've never heard of this. And apparently, Charlie Parkhurst, I'm going to correct their language. I'm not going to read the language. that they, It's incorrect language that they use in their article. But Charlie, actually, and Charlie Parkhurst is a trans man. I never knew about this. See, this is awesome. So now fourth graders will know about a notorious bandit-battling California stagecoach driver named Charlie Parkhurst trans man. Very cool. Polly Pagenhart, 
says that's important. It occasions a conversation for kids about why a person would live their life as a man, says Paige and her, well, they were a man. Okay, anyway, but yes. Policy director for Our Family Coalition, one of several organizations that worked toward the inclusive textbooks. What does that tell us about gender roles or the possibility for women to live full lives in the Wild West? Pagenhart says the new textbooks will change how students learn about the history of social change movements, too. The LGBTQ movement won't be omitted, as it often has been in the past, she says, noting that LGBT activists' work helps shape the world kids live in today. Helps shape helps shape the world the kids live in today. There's a lot of changes to constitutional law that have happened as a result of LGBT civil rights movement work. Advocates, ex- advocates, advocates. Advocates expect there will be some lively debate at the school district level, but Pagenhart says it's really important for people to bear in mind that telling students about what is true is different than advocacy. School districts do not have to use the textbooks, but if they don't, they will still have to use materials that include LGBT people's role in state and U.S. history. California law requires it. That's one of the few times I'm like down with the law. I'm like, yeah, that's cool. The adoption of these textbooks is the latest step in the implementation of California's 2011 Fair Education Act, introduced by former state senator Mark Leno, who's now running for mayor of San Francisco. Under the law, social sciences curriculum in California and the United States must include the contributions of LGBT Americans, people with disabilities, and members of other cultural groups. I think it's I think it's going to be a beautiful thing to see how this plays out in classrooms and in generations to come, Paige and Hart says. Her children grew up with two moms, and they felt before they got to third grade the sting of ignorance on the part of their, of their peers, she said. She says, her kids have also come out as gay, and she says, schools offered few role models. Or if they've learned about them, like Sally Ride, they wouldn't have known that not only was Sally Ride the first woman in space, but she was also the first gay person in space. That's that kind of stuff makes a difference. The newly approved textbooks also include more information on the farm labor movement and the role Filipinos played in it. Information about the Mexican reparation program, which illegally repri- excuse me, Mexican repatriation program, which illegally deported thousands of Mexican Americans in the 1930s, many of whom were US citizens, more details on African American history, specifically the institution of slavery, and more on the plight of Native Americans in California's missions. When the board approved the 10 textbooks last week, it also rejected two books that didn't include LGBT history, violating California's 2011 Fair Education Act. Wow. So, yeah, imagine that, learning actual history and uh, also, like, the people's history, learning the people's history and what that's about and how, I mean, if everyone had that opportunity to actually learn what really happened and from multiple perspectives, I think, um, or multiple people's perspectives, I should say. I think that's really great. So next up, from the Gay Star News, uh, this young, barely-funded lesbian has won an Oklahoma Senate seat from anti-gay Republican. Haha. She won by 31 votes. The 26-year-old married gay woman has won an Oklahoma Senate seat from an anti-gay opponent. Alison Ickley Freeman was victorious over Republican Brian O'Hara in a special election, winning the West Tulsa County District seat. She won by 31 votes. 
Her win was a surprise in the conservative area, especially as she is lightly funded by the Democratic Party. Last year, Democrats threw $200,000 and a first-tiered candidate at, Sen- at Senate District 37, trying to unseat incumbent Republican Dan Newberry, but they lost by 15 percentage points. This year, as Newberry retired for a public sector job in banking, private sector job in banking, great, uh, the unchallenged Ickley Freeman faced off against O'Hara for the seat. Complete but unofficial results showed Ickley Freeman with 2,234 votes to 2,203 for O'Hara, according to Tulsa World. Only 4,437 people voted in this special election, compared to almost 32,000 in last year's general election. Wow. Campaigning in Oklahoma for LGBT health counselor said campaign team worked hard at targeting voters they vote volume election. When we were knocking on doors, so many people said, thank you. We didn't know there was an election, Ickley Freeman said. Ickley Freeman, who married her 40-year-old wife, Dawn, in March this year, campaigned on mental health care, housing, and opposition of bathroom bills targeting transgender people. Oh, yay. Oh, that is wonderful. Something else wonderful. Are you up for some more positive news? I hope so. Cards Against Humanity buys piece of the U.S. border so Trump can't build his wall. This is from Mashable. Check it out at mashable.com. And there's a there's a an, a clip, a video clip that I can play, so I, I don't have to talk. So I'm going to do that. And I'm going to turn off the music first so you can hear what they're saying. How about that? And we're getting the... We're getting the day started off on a pretty fun note. Cards Against Humanity, the Chicago-based company behind the party game that forces you to explain to your mom what bukkake is, has started a little annual tradition surrounding the holidays. Yesterday, they announced that this year's holiday promotion is called Cards Against Humanity Saves America. How do they intend on doing this, you ask? The company purchased a plot of vacant land on the U.S.-Mexican border, which would purportedly make it very difficult for Trump to build his $20 billion border wall, which, in actuality, the American taxpayers would be coughing up those $20 billion unless Mexico experiences some sort of mass amnesia and forgets Trump's $20 billion racist insults about them. <clears throat> Anyway, Cards Against Humanity has retained a law firm specializing in eminent eminent domain to make building on their land as time-consuming and expensive for Trump as possible, adding that this is their effort to do something and also to stay relevant in 2017. This might be Cards Against Humanity's biggest stunt, though. Up until this point, they've only done smaller-scale things like digging a giant hole for no reason, destroying fine art with fans' encouragement, and mailing literal bullcrap to people. So this year, if you pay $15, Cards will send you six surprises in the month of December, including an illustrated map of the property, a certificate of promise to fight the wall, and some new playing cards. And if you're wondering how soon Sean Hannity fans will stop destroying their Keurigs so they can start destroying the party game in a fit of humorless rage, I suspect many of them will have to buy it first, so that may not be in the cards for them. (laughs) For a company that loves and capitalizes on jokes about consumerism, Cards Against Humanity can afford to get a little political. They're self-owned and they don't rely on big box stores, so they can also call Trump a, quote, preposterous golem who is afraid of Mexicans. 
and only have to worry about the Lord of Ring or the Lord of the Ring fans who don't want their beloved Gollum tainted with anything associated with Trump. Misa Trump, Misa no one Mexicans in America. Oh wait, that's Jar Jar Binks. You mad nerds, deal with it. Okay, so. I hadn't heard that video before or watched it, but that's cool. That gives a really great um, explanation of what they're doing. And I'm going to play the their other video as well. Um, yeah, it's, it's good stuff. So one moment while I get this all started here. And it's great news when there's something positive to, to, to share. So one moment while I get this started. And again, you can find this article at mashable.com and... We'll also probably share it on the Weekly Review webpage as well. In the early part of the 21st century, Donald Trump had just been elected President of the United States. The American empire was in decline. After decades of global supremacy, the people had become lazy and stupid. And if you, if you kick every Latino out of this country, then who is going to be cleaning your toilet, Donald Trump? The country seemed to be hanging by a thread. But then, a small card game company from Chicago, Illinois, known as Cards Against Humanity, launched a bold campaign to save America. These scrappy comedy writers would come to be hailed as saviors by the American people. They stopped Trump's border wall, solved the problem of fake news, and ended the creeping scourge of homework. The struggle was real. Things just kept getting worse. And then it happened. Cards Against Humanity announced this crazy holiday marketing campaign and it only costs $15. On the first day of the campaign, Cards Against Humanity purchased acres of land on the U.S.-Mexico border and didn't build a wall on it. They retained a law firm to fight the United States government and prevent them from ever building the wall. Everyone who signed up for the promotion was given a small portion of the land. That way, together, they owned it. The government would have to take them to court and fight in order to put up the wall. Now, this was just day one of the campaign. There were still five more days, five more days of incredible surprises, all for just $15. So how did the promotion work? It was simple. People used the internet, a popular technology at the time, and typed in www. CardsAgainstHumanitySavesAmerica.com to sign up. What would follow was an incredible barrage of gifts and surprises that captured the heart of a nation. So that's pretty cool. Uh, yeah, again, folks doing things against to, to stand up and to to do good things okay i'm running out of words here it's 127 uh, i've got some more stories to tell and first i'm gonna play some more music and then we'll be back uh after this so 
first up, there's going to be a Peter Gabriel song called We Do What We're Told, also known as Milgram's 37, and then another song after that. So enjoy. Too fast, too slow Regret, remorse, hold on No, no, I 
And welcome back. That was First Aid Kit with My Silver Lining. Great song. Uh, I feel better when I hear good music. Who knew? Okay, so we've got a couple more news stories, and then we'll probably finish up with some music. That's what the plan is, but we don't know if that's going to happen for sure. Another positive story, and again, I know, it's like the, the bar is so low. The bar, we live in a world where like, the bar is so low, where, yeah, something great happened, and then it's like, why... Was this even an issue in the first place? And one is that uh, same-sex marriage uh, was vote was approved by the people in Australia. And again, first of all, it shouldn't even be up. I mean, people should be able to get married like if they want to. I don't. The idea that you can prevent someone from getting married is just beyond me. Uh, if it's two consenting adults, I don't get it. Whatever. Anyway, so that's a positive thing. So yeah, this is probably not the best way to introduce a positive news story, but that's kind of where I'm coming from with the idea of like yeah, this is great news. And then also like, this is what we get excited about. And we, by being me, it's like, ugh, low bar anyway. So this is good news. And also of course, marriage being that not, that shouldn't be the main thing that queer 
community is fighting for, we should be making sure that folks aren't incarcerated and make, making sure that folks have health care and making sure folks have housing and food. There's a lot of things that we can be fighting for and folks aren't being deported. There's a lot of things I think a lot of us would argue is more important than marriage. However, not to be a Debbie Dowder, this is good news that, mar- that same-sex marriage won in Australia. So that's good. So The Guardian has an article that came out today, same-sex marriage survey, religious belief matched no vote most closely. Hmm. Okay. I almost went into the, the, the church lady voice here. Um, so they're saying that the religious belief correlates much more strongly than overseas birth because there was the, the, the idea that about migrant communities in Western Sydney electorates have been pinpointed as the strongest element. However, they are saying it's really a religious belief that has a much stronger vote. And they have a photo here of people who are like marching with their signs and they support traditional marriage, even though I'm sure a lot of them have been divorced many times and or cheated on their spouses, which of whom I'm assuming we're not in open marriages. Okay, next. Let's read about this. The same-sex marriage survey revealed a deep divide between Sydney's Western and Eastern electorates. The nation and its states recorded an overwhelming yes and only 17 of 150 electorates voted no, but 12 of those were in Sydney's West. The strongest no vote came from the electorate of Blacksland, where only, and that's B-A-L-A-X, L-A-N-D, where only 26% of people wanted marriage equality. Five other electorates in the area had less than 40% support. Those electorates are some of the most ethnically and culturally diverse in Australia with a high immigrant populations, and that factor has been strongly linked to the no vote. But the factor that correlated most strongly with the no vote was religious affiliation, not overseas birth. It had a correlation of minus 0.8, implying a close to one-to-one relationship. The following graph shows the percentage of yes voters in every electorate in the postal survey mapped against census data for each electorate. I would have no idea how to even convey a graph image verbally. However, you can check out the article if you go to theguardian.com. So they have the, the graph of survey votes shown against identification as religious and then against overseas birth. Being born overseas had only a slightly positive relationship with voting no. Somewhat surprisingly, they say, uh, household income was only slightly correlated with a yes vote, and that I think goes along with the myth that somehow being upper class means is somehow, unfortunately, people sometimes link that to sophistication or acceptance of LGBTQ when that's not true. So they also have a link here about median household income. And higher education levels had a, had a slightly but not remarkably positive relationship with voting yes. And they have a bachelor's degree as highest education level against a graduate diploma as highest education, as highest level of education. And then they have postgraduate qualification as well. Uh, the, ABC's political ch- the ABC's chief political scientist, Anthony Green, has highlighted that same-sex marriage did not follow the usual lines of political division. Gay marriage doesn't fit into the Australian political structure very well because it's not a class-based issue, he said. A closer look at each religion shows that Islam was the strongest indicator of a no vote, but still a weaker indicator than religion per se. So they have with uh, Islam and then with uh, Christianity. After Islam, Christianity was the religion most strongly correlated with a no vote. Of the Christian religions, which are uh, disaggregated in census data, um, they have Oriental Orthodox, uh, common in Northeast Africa and the Middle East, and Catholics were most strongly associated with a no vote. Both were more strongly correlated with a no vote than Christians in general, and then Hinduism, the third most strongly correlated religion. Only one religion, Judaism, 
had a positive correlation with a yes vote. So as a uh, someone who was raised uh, reformed Jewish, uh, I'll take my Ashkenazi, uh, I'll just say yay for us for, for once. That's a good thing. Positive. Great. Uh, there is no simple explanation for the strong relationship between religion and no voting. Attempts to frame a particular religious group as inherently homophobic ignore complex social cultural and economic factors that drive voting decisions. Carrie Hu, who campaigned uh, for the yes vote in Western Sydney, has said lack of access to trusted English language news, interesting, and campaign materials played a significant role in persuading people against marriage equality. The no campaign pumped out bilingual material and used fearful messaging that actually connected with the migrant community, she wrote on Facebook. So again, so it's really like going back towards misinformation and how that seems to be a bigger cause of this. It's misinformation. It's not necessarily based on someone's background, but perhaps misinformation. Interesting. Interesting, interesting, interesting. She said that yes, messaging was targeted at a what? Here we go. She said the yes messaging was targeted at a white middle class audience and did not resonate with socially conservative immigrant communities. Love is love is confusing and not translatable. Writing on the conversation, sociologist Andrew Jakubinovich from the University of Technology, Sydney, said migrant communities in the West had little information directly available from sources they would trust or to which they have easy access. Often their information was mediated primarily through religious institutions, he said. Huh. Okay. So there we go. So again, it's interesting how, you know, folks form these biases, myself included, you know, we form biases, we're brainwashed a little bit by the information that we're, we're told. And if organizations uh, set out their messaging and they don't, and it's not culturally sensitive perhaps perhaps then then more biases increase if you're not providing accurate information to people and not communicating in an effective manner so there's that finally we're going to end it's 142 um so we'll do one more story and then we'll play some music yay okay so here's a positive another positive news story i promised oh i don't think i promised however i like spending some positive time on news okay so from the root Anonymous disables more than a dozen white supremacist websites in coordinated hacking attack. And this is from Michael Harriet, and this came out on Wednesday. I don't know about you, but even in my most defiant, unapologetic blackness, there is still one group of people I dare not mess with. White people wearing masks, specifically clown masks. I'm not talking about the old bedsheet-wearing Casper the Friendly Ghost clowns like the Ku Klux Klan. I'm talking about scary people like Pennywise from the movie It or the creepy Burger King guy, even Ronald McDonald, and especially those anonymous dudes in the Guy Fox masks. Or, as my niece calls them, the evil mustache clowns. She's an American. She doesn't know about Guy Fox, the gunpowder plot, or the movie V for Vendetta. They are frightening, and they don't play. The activists of the loose collective of people you don't want to fuck with at Anonymous took down more than a dozen hate websites early Wednesday morning in a coordinated effort to punish racist groups around the world. A Twitter account under the name of Anane info took credit for the attack explaining that the effort was in retaliation for the charlottesville virginia unite the right rally as well as the failed white lives matter rallies in tennessee according to a report by the international business times the ongoing effort targeted more than a dozen sites like altrighttv.com vanguard america online americanaziparty.com and there's a few more that a lot of them have kkk in their names Ugh, gross i'm not even going to read their names because why even 
ugh, why even, ugh, 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 I'm gonna scroll, scroll down, okay. We've had plenty of Anons contribute to the operation worldwide, knowing this is a US-based operation, said one of the anonymous hackers. The fight against fascism is global, so we may consider expanding our operation to work with anonymous groups in their own countries, that's awesome. The group said that this effort is to reduce terrorism by white supremacist organizations and to stop the efforts of mainstream, uh, stop the efforts to mainstream racism. And the mask thing, that's just a thing they do that's inspired by a movie and to scare me. Okay. So that some positive news here. Some folks taking down these websites. I think that's great. I also, um, we have that article's a bit shorter than I had anticipated. So I also wanted, there's also some other things I remember that happened this year that were like, or in the past week that were like, ugh. And I feel like I need to mention it. So in in Poland, there was a 60,000 person, like, gross fucking white supremacist march in Poland. So just need to announce that. I know I wanted to do more positive news at the end of the show, but also just needing to recognize that this is happening. It's like a worldwide problem. We need to recognize that. And uh, also wanting to congratulate um, GQ on naming Colin Kaepernick the citizen of the year. I think that's pretty awesome. A lot of folks are like upset about it, but they can go fuck themselves. That's my opinion. I think Colin Kaepernick is awesome. I don't really follow football. I do follow the folks who decided not to stand for the anthem. I think that's great. He's done a lot of incredible work in the community and also happens to be vegan. So that's cool for all the animal rights folks out there that you have a really great representative out there like Colin Kaepernick um, sending lots of love and solidarity to folks like Kaepernick who do um, speak out about what they believe in and take risks. And I think that's incredible. So, Wanting to end the, the show on that note. All right, so we're going to play some music. Uh, Global Val will be coming in a little bit later today, so there'll be a, last week's episode of Women's Magazine playing next on Mutiny Radio. Following that, at 3 p.m., will be a new episode of the Common Thread Collective. If you're interested in having a show here at Mutiny Radio, check out mutinyradio.fm. We have a lot of slots open and available, especially on Thursdays, Thursday afternoon. We have space open. If you'd like to do a show of your own, please do come by, check it out. You can also email our director at pamsidai at hotmail.com. And yeah, we're also going to have a comedy festival here in March. We have live shows here. There's a lot of programming, incredible programs here on Mutiny Radio. So please do check out our other programs. I've been sitting in on Mondays uh, for Heterotopia. So you can listen in Mondays from 4 to 6 p.m. as well as check out the archive. We have the archive going back a couple years to 2000, early 2015. Check out earlier episodes of the Weekly Review as well as Heterotopia. I've been sitting in for a few months now. If you check out mutinyradio.fm and go down to the podcast link, and then you can check it out by days. Weekly Review has been on on Fridays since our very beginning in 2013. Thank you all so much for listening. Thank you to the folks also for donating. I'm really very, very grateful for the folks who donate on a monthly basis. If you would like to support the show, we gladly, gratefully accept donations of a dollar and above. You can check us out at uh, patreon.com slash weekly rev. Again, any amount is helpful. We use the money to rent the studio space. So, uh, anything at all would be grateful. We, we would be grateful for, we're looking to reach our goal of a hundred dollars a month total. We're about at $72. So if 28 people can donate a dollar a month, we'd meet our, we would meet our goal and that would be awesome. So again, ugh, talking a lot. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate all the listeners out there. And last month, we had about 8,000 downloads. Um, looking forward to increasing those numbers, getting the word out to more folks. So again, thank you so much for listening. Please do spread the word. Have conversations with people. It's a, I think that's a really effective tool as well, in addition to being able to, to donate to causes, is really having conversations with people. 
uh, talk about these topics, talk about how folks who protested the inauguration or people who even witnessed people protesting the inauguration are faced or under trial. Talk about how the folks who want to protect the earth by preventing pipelines from being built are being harassed and targeted by the, the, the companies, the companies who are hiring lawyers. We can talk about the positive things, about how there's LGBTQ curriculum now coming into the schools and what would life be like if that it started that many, many years ago. We could talk about Cards Against Humanity, buying a piece of <laughs> buying a piece of land so Trump can't build the wall, you know, diversity of tactics, ways in which to prevent the fascist creep from spreading even more. There's a lot of a lot of positive people doing a lot of good things. And even just good things. Even I shouldn't say even because I know it's a big deal for a lot of folks. The same-sex marriage passing in Australia. That's great. Colin Kaepernick being awarded the Citizen of the Year by GQ. Positive things. I think it's really also just important to talk about the positive things. The the apps we talked about. The the abolition where you can donate a few cents after, after, of each transaction to donate to people's bail as well as the the one that runs on cryptocurrency, bail block. That will take, you don't even have to pay anything. It'll just come into your computer and take the energy, transfer that to, to funds, transfer that to people who need it. I think that's incredible. There's so many great things happening and it's really important to keep track of those as well and to celebrate those and to be grateful for those and to think of other ways that we can, as people, as the greater good, we can contribute to, to help each other. Cool. All right. Well, thank you again so much for listening. Whoa. It's 149. I've talked a lot. Thanks again so much for listening, everyone. Please do stay tuned. And we'll be playing. I'll play and find some good music to, uh, whew, to end this show with. Thanks again for listening. And we'll be back next. Oh, maybe we won't because it's, uh, might not be here next Friday. However, continue listening. We'll have something going on next Friday if i'm if i'm not here so stay tuned and we'll be back soon
revolution will not give your mouth sex appeal. The revolution will not get rid of the nub. The revolution will not make you look five pounds thinner because the revolution will not be televised, brother. There will be no pictures of you and Willie Mae pushing that shopping cart down the block on the dead run or trying to slide that color TV into a stolen ambulance. NBC will not be able to predict the winner at 8.32 on the court from 29 districts. The revolution will not be televised. There will be no pictures of pigs shooting down brothers on the instant replay. There will be no pictures of pigs shooting down brothers on the instant replay. There will be no pictures of Whitney Young being run out of Harlem on a rail with a brand new process. There will be no slow motion or still lights of Roy Wilkins strolling through Watts in a red, black, and green liberation jumpsuit that he has been saving for just the proper occasion. Acres, Beverly Hillbillies, and Hooterville Junction will no longer be so damn relevant, and women will not care if Dick finally got down with Jane on Search for Tomorrow, because black people will be in the street looking for a brighter day. The revolution will not be televised. There will be no highlights on the 11 o'clock news and no pictures of Harry Hall, women liberationists, and Jackie Onassis blowing her nose. The theme song will not be written by Jim Webb or Francis Scott Keyes, nor sung by Glenn Campbell, Tom Jones.